welcome. It's good to have you guys, and uh, welcome to nobody this week. It's just us this week, guys. It's just the Northridge family. How fun is that? Uh, we got the opportunity to do something fun and special today, and so we don't have to uh, welcome anybody from any other place, just us, which is going to be fun. And so they, they presented us with this opportunity. I thought, man, what does is, what is the church uh, need to hear what's God kind of putting on our hearts and where are we going this next season and what does this look like? And I prayed a lot about it and really wrestled with some things and, and God just pressed on my heart a very familiar passage to some of you. You've heard it before and so my hope would be it would fall on uh, a fresh eyes and fresh ears and God would speak to us in a powerful way uh, as we dive into it this morning. But uh, before we do, I wanna, I wanna do a little bit, I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone and talk to you about something that I know little about, but Google knows a lot about, and so I figured that out this week, uh, and that's sheep, okay? I'm not a farmer. I'm not an agriculturalist. Uh, I've had lamb chops. That's my extent of impact with sheep, uh, but I looked a lot of things up, and uh, you know, sheep kind of got a bad rap, right? Sheep are known as stupid animals, right? I don't know why they got that rap, so I, as I was looking at it, they're actually smarter than we think they are. Uh, they can recognize up to 50 faces uh, and they, they identify 50 faces, which is probably about 13 more than I can identify in my lifetime. So they're, they're pretty smart. Uh, but they get this bad rap. They get this reputation of being dumb animals because of how they're intrinsically wired uh, to protect themselves. If you've ever seen a sheep, uh, they're not the most fearsome animals to look at. They're kind of big white cotton balls. That's why we count them to fall asleep. Uh, they, they don't look really gruesome. And so how do they defend themselves? Well, they defend themselves by staying in a herd and following each other. So one sheep takes off, they assume danger is coming, so they all take off and follow it. This is where they get their stupid animal identification. Because if one sheep decides, I'm going to run that way, and they run right off a cliff, the rest of them will follow them right off a cliff. I read one article about two Iranian shepherds uh, that were having lunch when their herd got away from them and one sheep ran off a cliff. 1,699 sheep later, they all went off the cliff and the only reason they didn't lose more is because the ravine filled with sheep so much so that the rest of the sheep just fell on top of them. They were able to save some. And what would make a sheep just go, hey, hey, there goes Charlie, he's off the cliff. Let's go see what he's doing and off they go. It's their intrinsic nature. It's how they, how they get around. Their wool keeps growing and grows so much so that if they fall over, they can't right themselves when they get bigger. So like a little turtle on its back, they will flail there until they eventually pass away and their organs implode on them. Uh, helpless, in a sense. Helpless in this sense, too. They eat, and they eat, and they eat, and they eat. They'll eat all the food in the surrounding area so much so that they'll starve themselves to death because they'll eat all the food, and then they'll fail to move somewhere else to get more food. They'll just look around and go, well, we ate everything yesterday. Good luck today. And then three days later, they're all starving to death, helpless without someone to lead them, to guide them, to shepherd them in. Uh, last interesting thing. Uh, you heard of a cattle prod? Okay, and they're, now they're electric and they shock the cattle to get the cattle to go up the chute where they eventually meet their doom and then they end up at in and out Okay, that's how, that's how cattles work. Sheep are very different. What they'll do is they'll take one sheep, they call it the lead sheep. They walk him up the ramp into the doors of doom. And they just bring them and put them right back in the pen right next door. All the other sheep see little Charlie go up the ramp into the doors of doom and they think, huh, I wonder what he figured out. And they all flood in there. So much so they have to prod them out of the chute because they're all trying to get in there at the same time. 
ultimately walking to their own doom. And so they just follow. They're helpless in a sense without someone to lead to God to protect them. And that's where Jesus is going to look out at the crowds. He's going to see the masses and he's going to say they are like sheep. Sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to guide them, to lead them. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 today. A very familiar passage to some of you. You've heard it before. Uh, But we're going to look at it hopefully with some fresh eyes and learn what Jesus is calling us to and how he's wanting us to to move and act as 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 a family of God together. So let me pray for us. And then we'll dive into our time in the Word. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this incredible book. God, what a gift you've given us in your Word. God, I pray that we would handle it correctly this morning. I pray that your Word would do what it promises to do. God, that it would speak to our hearts. It would cut to our souls. And God, that you would open our eyes to see exactly what it is you would have for us. God, that your spirit would move, that you would do what only you can do, and we'll thank you in advance for it. But God, we thank you for your love. We thank you even for the opportunity at the end of today to celebrate communion and remember the sacrifice you made on our behalf. So God, we lift this time to you. We give this time to you. God, I pray you would get me out of the way and do whatever it is you want to do. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35 through 38. Let me kind of set up the context uh, of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus has just started his ministry. Okay? He's, he's taught the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he's starting to do some miraculous things. He's healing people. He's raising, he rose a little girl from the dead. He's got the, the deaf speaking. Uh, he's, he's healed centurion, his son. He's doing all sorts of miracles. And he's kind of becoming a little bit of a rock star. Word gets out that Jesus is in town and everyone flocks to see him. So I don't know. I mean, I'm old. I should have asked my kids before I came. I don't know who the musician of the day is that everyone would be like, oh. But I think back when I was a kid, my grandparents showed me pictures uh, of Elvis Presley when he would show up somewhere. And they would show me pictures and they would say, look at this girl, she's screaming. And the girls, I guess, would pass out and faint just because Elvis was in the building. He's here. Ah! And then down they go. I don't know. I guess that's fun for girls. That's how it worked. So I kind of pictured that. This is Jesus. He would show up somewhere and Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And here come the crowds in awe of this man wanting to see what he's going to do. What's he going to do next? How's he going to change? The, what, you know, what is this message he's teaching? Look at the people he's healing. And so they're, they're drawn to Christ. And that's where we pick up our story here in chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went out through all the, of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and help, helpless. Here it is like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's, let's peel back. Let's go back and, and, and look at this. First thing we need to notice is this. And, he, and it says in, in verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Important here for us to, to pick this up and to realize this. You know, Escostale Bible Church is about three things, right? You guys remember what they are? Get God, get real, and get out there. Jesus is out there. 
He's out there in the world. He didn't, he, didn't hold, he didn't take his disciples and go, all right, guys, I'm gonna take you off in the wilderness and I'm gonna train you up for the next four years and then we're gonna dive back into the world. No, he's in the world. He's out there amongst the people. He's teaching in their villages and their synagogues and their places of worship. He's, he, he's out there rubbing shoulders with the people. He's out there in the world. I think there's a challenge here for us as God's church, as God's sons and daughters, that we need to make sure that we are out there in the world. And we don't get so comfortable with our, our I'm gonna use this term, this, our Christian bubble or our Christian friends, our little holy huddle that we can get into, that we're not engaged in the world around us, but that we're out there, that we're getting out there. Christ is out there, he's in the world. He's out there rubbing shoulders with the people. And what is he doing? He's teaching in their synagogues and what is he, he's proclaiming something. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the gospel. So, so here's, here's the question for us. What are we proclaiming? As sons and daughters of God, as children of God, what are we proclaiming? Is the gospel on the forefront of our minds and in our hearts? Does it spill out of us? Here's where that, I think this is calling us and where God's really calling us to is, has the gospel, does the gospel stir in your soul? The good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that you are a sinner destined for an eternal life separated from God, and yet Christ came, died on your behalf so that you can have reconciliation with your father and you can become a son or a daughter of God, adopted into the family of God. Does that stir in your soul? Does that well up any sort of emotion? Does that get you excited? Like, do you find hope and comfort and joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you're here and you, and you, you hear that story and you go, oh, that's familiar, I've heard that before, it's the gospel, and it, it has no impact on you, then my fear is the enemy's already won. And he's already convinced you that the greatest truth this world has ever experienced, ever seen, ever fathom, is just commonplace. And it's become stale in your life. And so maybe for you, you need to, you need to take a, a page out of David's book from Psalm 51. If you remember the passage, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Would you restore to me the joy of, of my salvation? And maybe for some of you, that's all you need to pray and all you need to hear this morning. God, would you remind me how awesome it is to be your kid, to be your son, to be your daughter? Would you remind me what your sacrifice means? Would you remind me of the hope that I have? Would you stir in my soul to this point that you would restore in me the joy of my salvation? And so if you're there and you kind of hear this gospel message and you think, man, you're a child of God, you're, you're saved for eternity, you can talk to your father anytime you want, and that has no impact on your life, maybe we need to stop and just pray. And you can check out the rest of the morning, you don't have to listen to me anymore, just pray. Just pray and ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. Because to me, you give me, you give me a child of God, so in awe of the gospel, so... so unbelievably overwhelmed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, then that's what's gonna ooze out of you. That's what's gonna come out given the opportunity. And it, it, it moves from this, this realm of, I need to tell people about Jesus because the pastor told me to, and I know it's what I'm called to do, so here's my shot. And it turns into, man, I can't wait to tell you about how much Christ means to me and let me share with you the impact Christ has had on my life. And instead of it being obligatory, it becomes your greatest joy in the world to share the hope of Christ with a world that desperately needs it. 
We don't get there if we aren't in awe of the gospel message ourselves. So we're going to spend some time in a moment at the end of today's service celebrating communion. And my hope and prayer has been and will continue to be that we, that we just stand in awe of all the love that God has, has for us as his kids and that we are moved in our soul and our spirit. That's where Christ was. He spent his time communicating the gospel of the kingdom of God. But then we read verse 36. So here he is, he's teaching, he's healing every disease and every affliction. And then it says this, when he saw the crowds, let's just pause right there. When he saw the crowds, now Jesus has got like a three and a half, maybe four year lifespan on his public ministry from start to ultimate death. Three and a half, four years. In that time, he's gonna save the world. Kind of a lot on his plate. Yet he wasn't too busy He didn't have too much going on that he couldn't stop and look and see the people, to see the crowds. It says, here they come. He's looking out and he sees the crowds. He, being God, had the opportunity to see not only the crowds of people, but he sees the heart of every human being that's coming at him. And and he's, he's looking out at these people and he sees them. So then I slow down and I look at this and I start thinking of my own life and I wonder, man, do I, do I see the people? Do I see the people God's put in my life, in my path? Do I see them? Or do I get so busy? And there's too many times, guys, where I get so busy with my my kids' schedule and the stuff I gotta do for work and everything else that I I just blow through my day as if it's like some checklist. I've gotta get this stuff done and, and I don't pay attention to anybody around me. And yet here you have Christ in the midst of his ministry, in the midst of doing all this stuff, and he looks and he has the ability to see people. Do we see people? Do we see the people God's put in front of us? Let me, let me flip it this way. I had a, a, a seminary professor uh, that I, I, when I was in seminary a long time ago. It took three weeks, which may not sound like a long time to you, but when you're in seminary, three weeks is like an eternity. To talk to his students, myself included, about the reality that every person is created in the image of God. Every person's created in the image of God. We all bear God's image. Every person. I remember going up to him after the third week going, hey, this is our third week on this image of God stuff. It's like four verses in Genesis. That's it. We're still on this. What is, how long are we going to talk about this? He said, until you figure it out. Until you get it, we're going to keep talking about it. I thought, man, what does he mean by that? And so here's where it became a real challenge is when we look at the world around us, do we see people as image bearers of God? We have eyes to see them that way. Now, it's easy for me, even right now, it's easy for me to look out at you guys and you're all dressed up and you're looking good and classy and and you're all at church, you're here to worship God, you're here to study God's word and go, man, look at all these image bearers of God. You all bear the image of God. This is a beautiful thing. As a family of God, we get to do that. It's a whole other thing outside the walls of this place to look at the world around us and say, do we see them as image bearers of God? Can we see the world? I've, I've told stories before of a young woman dancing at a party where I was, ended up wandering through and, and, and I remember being struck to the core of God saying, look, you see her? She bears my image. Yeah, but God, she's not walking with you. She, she's, in fact, she's as far from you right now as she probably can be, yet she bears my image. Do you see her for, for as an image bearer of God? Let me, let me give you a funny story. My son, Caden, seven years old. Remember, I played him in Madden and and smoked him, by the way, uh, to put him in his place. But this little guy, I had the opportunity, I had a friend of mine go, hey, I got 
I got two tickets to the Cardinals preseason game. Do you want to go? Sure, let's go. So I take my little son, and off we go, and we happen to be walking into the stadium, and they happen to be playing the Oakland Raiders that week, okay? You want to talk about a challenge? Look for the image of God in Oakland Raiders fans, okay? The black hole was there. They all got their skulls and their masks and their spikes sticking out and chains everywhere, and my son was terrified. He thought he was at a haunted house. Like, no, we're at a carnal game. Can we see the image of God in anybody in all things? No matter what they project on the outside, do we have the ability to see them as image bearers of God, as God's beloved people? And if they're beloved by God, then they better be beloved by God's kids. And so can we love them right where they're at? Can we love them right where they're at? Again, no matter what they're projecting, because everyone's projecting something, and some of it's gonna go against what you think and believe. But can you see him as an image bearer? Jesus looks out, here come the crowds. Crowds that wanted to see a show, crowds that wanted to make him dance and perform and heal this person and do that, and crowds with all sorts of things on their agenda, and yet he looks out and he sees them. And what does he see? He sees their deeper need as they come to him. And what is he stirred with? Look at the next part of our passage. When he sees the crowd, he had compassion for them. Compassion is the adjective used to describe the emotion Jesus had for them. I'm not much of a wordsmith, so I I love what one commentator put down. This is his definition of compassion. See if you can wrap your mind around this. He said, compassion involves so identifying with the situation of others that one is prepared to act for their benefit. Did you catch that? Compassion involves so identifying with the situation of others that one is prepared to act for their benefit. So as we, as we stop and as we start to think and wrestle with where you know this is going to ev- inevitably go, and you start to think about the, the world in which you live in, the people that God has put in your path, those that he has you standing before and interacting with, and you see them, and maybe God puts it on your heart and you see them as image bearers of God, then the question is, do you break with compassion? Do you move with compassion? So much so that you see the need in others and you so identify with their need that you are moved to act, not for your own benefit, but for theirs. Can we get to that place? Can our hearts be stirred to that extent? Again, this isn't a a willful thing. This isn't you sit there and go, okay, I need to be more compassionate, so let me go, no. What would it look like for you to stop and start to wrestle with how much God saved you from And if that doesn't well up some compassion in you when you start to realize how loved you are by God, that you would look at the world around you and go, man, I can't wait to share this with any and all because you need to know exactly what I know, the hope of Jesus Christ. And with compassion, I'm willing to move into your world and for your benefit and maybe at risk of myself to bring you the hope of Jesus Christ, to be moved, to so identify with their need that you're moved to action. Be full of compassion. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, there's sometimes, man, compassion comes easy. In fact, you could probably look around the room and look around the room and see people and go, yeah, I, I, I would show them compassion. And yet there's people in this world that God's gonna put in your life that compassion's not necessarily the first emotion that comes up in your soul. At least it is for me. I can look at some and have great compassion for them. I look at others and, and justice comes to mind. Uh, being right, getting what I want. I'll tell you a story without disclosing too much information because I'm still journeying with this individual, but 
Uh, I had an individual that I've met with five or six times now uh, struggling with gender identity and, and just back and forth on, on where they're at. And uh, again, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a black and white, a little bit more of, well, if God's word says this and this, and, and, yet, and yet having compassion and journeying with this individual and not fighting for what, what I want them to believe but helping them open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of Christ and seeing them as an image bearer of God has completely changed the way in which I interact with this individual. I haven't compromised truth, nor will I, but it certainly changed the tactics in which I go into it, and it certainly changes the dialogue that we begin to have, and it certainly has changed our relationship over this period of time. Because with a compassionate heart, because seeing a need and so identifying with a need in the individual, and it's not for them to figure out their gender so much as it is for them to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Can I be so stirred and identify with their greater need that I'm moved to action to meet them where they're at? And so that's been the challenge that I've had. And I'd love to stand up here and puff my chest out and go, I respond with compassion every time. I don't. Sometimes it's, I got to remind myself, and it's it's more black and white justice, and I and I want to fight for for what I believe, and I, and I blow it. But by the grace of God, we continue to stay in relationship, and God keeps working. And I'm interested to see where where we go with this whole thing. But can we have compassion? Can we so identify with the needs of others that we are moved to act, even if it costs us something, to the benefit of others? That's what Jesus does. He sees the crowds, and he has compassion for them. Why? Why compassion? Well, here we go. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now we're back to our animal of the day, this idea of sheep. They're harassed and helpless. Harassed by who? Well, maybe by each other. Sheep bite each other. Maybe they were infighting and they were fighting with each other, perhaps. Uh, But the enemy of this world is at work. And whether we realize it or not, Ephesians 6 would tell us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's the spirits of, of, of the world going on. The enemy is at work. And the Bible uses metaphors like putting a veil over the hearts, blinding the eyes, making them unable to see. Uh, the enemy is at work amongst the sheep, doing anything he possibly can to prevent them from knowing and experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're harassed. They're helpless. How are they helpless? They're helpless in the sense that sometimes they don't even know they're in trouble. You remember sheep? They just follow the herd. Hey, there goes Harry off the cliff. He must have known something we don't know, and off they go. And they don't even realize they're marching to their own destruction. They eat all the food, and they don't even realize we should have saved some for tomorrow. Now we're going to starve to death. They don't realize the danger they're in. Guys, sometimes that's how our world operates. We get so busy. The world gets so busy. The sheep get so busy chasing what they think is going to provide them joy and comfort, and, and, and happiness, that they chase all of these things, and they finally get it, and they've got it. I'm, I, I made a million dollars, and now I can retire, and they retire, and then they realize, man, is this it? It's not what I thought it was. I just want a spouse. I got to get a spouse. I got to get married. They finally get married, and they go, hey, okay, this is great, but is this it? Because this doesn't quite fill the void I have in my soul. Because the reality is that void was never meant to be filled by anything on this earth, but by something eternal, this idea of a relationship with the God of the universe. And yet sometimes the sheep are so helpless and so blinded that they can't even see what's going on. And so Jesus looks out with compassion and goes, man, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
What they need is someone to lead them, to guide them, to, to wrap their arms around them and care for them and provide for them. And so what does he do? Look what he does. He turns to his guys in verse 37. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. It's interesting to me that the God of the universe in human form looks out at the crowds, sees them coming, sees their deeper need, is moved with compassion, and instead of going, Father, give them what they, what they ultimately need, and that's a relationship with you, and changes all of their hearts. Instead of doing that, he turns to a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and goes, all right, guys, you see the crowds? The harvest is plentiful. What we need is more of us. More people sold out for the gospel of Christ. More people willing to go out and risk something for not their own benefit, but the benefit of others. So let's pray for more laborers in the harvest field. Interesting. So then I started to think. And I'm, I'm a weird thinker. I don't know. It's, I was driving down Scottsdale Road, and I'm wrestling with this passage and just thinking about stuff. And Pinnacle Peak's just off to my right. You know Pinnacle Peak, the big rock formation that sticks out of the middle of nowhere? And I thought, man, what? What would it be like if Christ took me to the top of Pinnacle Peak? And he would have to take me. There's no way I could get up there by myself, okay? We're all fully aware of that. But let's say that Christ brought me up there. And it's me and him, and we're sitting on the top of Pinnacle Peak, and we're just looking out across the valley, especially up here in North Scottsdale and Cave Creek, and we're just looking out. I got to imagine Jesus would look at me, and he would say the exact same thing. He would say, Kevin, look out. Do you see the crowds? Do you see the people? Kevin, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. So what would it look like for us to pray for more laborers? So here's where this is going. You got to see this, see this coming. Uh, what's your harvest field? I mean, it's God's harvest field, but what harvest field has God put you in to be a laborer for him? Who are those people in your circle, in your sphere of influence, those people that you will rub shoulders with, that you will interact with this week, that God has put you in their world? They bear the image of God. And with a compassionate heart, can you look at them? Can you see them? And can you say, okay, I'm willing to step. I'm willing to move. I'm willing to act. Because here's the reality. This might get uncomfortable for some of you just a second. But look around the room. I know. Look at some of the other people. They all look good. Uh, but look at them. Look around this room. Look at the amount of harvest fields represented by the people in here. There are some of you that will go to work with people tomorrow that will never darken the doors of this church or any church. I will never meet them. I will never have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. But guess what? You will. You're, they're in your harvest field. They're in your sphere of influence. Some of you will interact with, with family members, with people at your gym, people at your school, uh, medical doctors that you work with, service care provider, whatever it is. You will interact with people and God goes, here is the harvest field. Here is my harvest field I have put you in. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so the question that we've got to wrestle with is, what is God calling us to do? Who are those people God has put in our life that even right now, maybe the Holy Spirit's flashing their face in front of you, maybe names are popping up in your head, that you would sit there and you would say, man, I feel like these are the people God's put in my life, and I've got an opportunity. This is my harvest field. 
This is my opportunity to get to work and to see what God's going to do. Who are those people? I've got mine. God's made it pretty clear who mine are. And, and be careful how I say this. Uh, you know, I work at a church. I don't need to lead Jimmy to the Lord. Jimmy knows the Lord probably better than I do. Okay? He's, he's not my harvest field. But there are other men in my life, uh, in particular some of the uh, baseball dads that I interact with and, and, and kids that are, or parents that are coaching my kids. Uh, that's my harvest field. God's put them in front of me, and I've got an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. And I've told you before, there's been opportunities that, that have presented themselves, and I've, I've stepped out in faith, and I've talked about Jesus, and there's been other times that I have completely cowered at the opportunity. Tell me about Jesus. Nope, I don't, I don't know who you're talking. And I've, and I've wimped out. I'm not up here as, as some expert telling you, oh, follow me. No, what I'm, what I'm calling us to do is just to begin to pray and think about who are the people God's put in my path? As I'm out there in the world, who are the people God's put in my path? And what might it look like for me to begin to pray with, for a heart of compassion, to be so welled up by the love of the gospel that I couldn't help but share the hope of Jesus Christ with them? What might that look like? Now, a couple of things. My encouragement to you would be that you would share the gospel with them. If your answer to sharing the gospel with them is bringing them to church and going, all right, Kevin, I did my job. Here they are. That's all in. That's it for me. I did my part. Uh, then I think we've missed it. If you want to bring them to church, that's awesome. We'd love to have them here. And we're going to be a family that loves them into the community no matter where they're at. That's just that's what we're going to fight for all the time. Uh, but what would it look like for you to walk hand in step with them, and maybe you're the one that shares the gospel with them. And you've heard Jamie say this before. If you're sitting there going, what do I say? I don't know the gospel. Jamie's definition, gospel in four words. You remember what it is? It's God, sin, Christ, and you. God loves you, but you're a sinner. But good news is, Christ came to die for your sin so that you could have a relationship with the God of the universe. There's the gospel. God's sin, Christ in you. That's what God's calling us to share, the good news of Christ. Here's the other beautiful thing. If you're in here and you're a child of God, you know Jesus, you have a story. You have a testimony. God has impacted your life. God is, God is working on your soul all the time. Your story is powerful. Don't be afraid to get out there and to brag on Jesus, to go tell people about what Christ is doing in your life. That's part of this spreading of the gospel. This is part of going into the harvest field and, and being a laborer for God. So what would it look like? Who are the people God's put in your path? And what is God calling you to do? Now, before we wrap up with, with something a little bit different, I, my hope and prayer has been that there's no guilt or shame here. This isn't, this isn't, I don't want you to leave here feeling like, oh man, now I gotta, no, I want you to leave here feeling like, man, I'm so in love with God. God's given me an opportunity to be a part of his team, to be, to be part of his labor force, to do something great for the kingdom of God. That's been my hope, that you'd be encouraged by all this. If the enemy has captured any of it and filled you with guilt and shame and, and, and you're feeling any of that, man, I, I apologize, and I will pray for you in just a moment. Uh, but my hope would be that there might be some, uh, and this is the tricky part, sometimes conviction is tough but that God would convict our hearts and to move in our hearts and to begin to paint a picture of what it is he's calling us to do. And maybe for some of us, we need to step out in faith and do the hard thing 
uh, and trust that God's going to show up and God's going to do something awesome. Because we represent a lot of God's harvest fields in here. Lots of opportunity. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with this. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. And for some of you, I already talked to the last two services. They said, you can shorten that a little bit. It felt like an eternity. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. We're just going to be quiet. We're going to pray. Okay? And, and, and for some of you, this, this is going to feel like six hours, but it's only going to be a minute. Uh, here's what I want you to pray for. I don't want you to pray for yourself. Uh, I want you to look around the room, and I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to pray for the people sitting around you. If you know them by name, pray for them by name. If you don't, just pray for the men and women sitting around you because here's what they all represent. They all represent uh, potential laborers to go out into God's harvest field and the world in which God's put them in. And so would you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ to have compassionate hearts? Would you pray for them to be uh, courageous in their opportunities to share the hope of Jesus Christ? And would you pray for them to have the discernment to know when to move and when not to move, when to step in and when to, when to pull back, when to share the hope of Christ and when not to? Because here's the beauty. When we start praying for each other as a family, uh, it's going to unite us together. It's going to give us a common purpose. Uh, and there's no limit to what God can do with a united family uh, doing, doing things for his gospel and his kingdom. Okay? So look around the room. Identify a few people. Maybe identify all uh, and we're going to take the next, uh, I'll give you 75 seconds. We'll shorten it a little bit so no one, no one panics. Uh, just pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I'm going to lead us in one more thing that we're going to do after that. And then we'll end our time with a time of communion. But would you pray for your brothers and sisters now? Okay, you're halfway home, you did it. Uh, here's what I want to do now. Uh, the word of God's pretty clear. Unless the Holy Spirit moves, uh, we labor in vain. In fact, God's word would say uh, in 1 Corinthians that the unspiritual are unable to understand the things of the Lord without the Holy Spirit moving. And so we need to invite the Holy Spirit in to what it is we're going to step out there and do. Uh, and that is to move in the harvest field that God's put us in. Uh, that he would go before us, that we would walk hand in step with the Spirit. And so, so here's what this looks like for some of you. As those names and faces come to mind, those people that you're thinking of, uh, what we need to do is need to begin to just pray, God, would you, would you soften their hearts? Would your spirit move? Uh, would you do what only you can do? If you want to use me as a witness, use me as a witness. 
Uh, but God, I need you to draw them to you. I need your spirit to do what your Holy Spirit says he will do, and that's move in their life. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit into this so that we can walk hand in step with him, not to get ahead of him, not to drag our feet behind him, but that we would walk hand in step with the spirit, uh, and that the spirit would go, because it's whose harvest field? It's God's harvest field. We're just the laborers. We're just out there doing the work. He's the one that's going to change hearts and change lives. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to take, we'll just take 60 seconds this time, uh, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to move in and amongst the lives of the people that you know, people that you're already, God's already pressing on your heart, who your harvest field is, uh, and for the people that need to know the hope of Jesus Christ. Uh, and again, I, I hate to say this, but it's what the Word of God says, the harassed and helpless sheep of this world that God's got us in that we might be the ones to lead them to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to go before us. So we're going to take the next minute, and we're just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to move, for revival to happen in a way that only God can do. And then I'll close this out, and we'll spend some time in communion. So God, we do invite your Holy Spirit to move and to act, to do things that we can't take credit for. God, I pray for the names and the faces that you've pressed on the hearts of your children. God, I lift up the names and faces of, of the men in my life. God, that you've put me in their world. Bear witness to your son. God, I pray for courage. I pray for conviction. I pray for passion. God, I pray I'd be so in love with your gospel that I couldn't help but share it with any and all that you put in my path. God, I pray the same for these brothers and sisters here. God, that we will walk hand in step with your spirit, that you would go before us. God, I pray, I know there's somebody in here that even as they're praying, they're thinking, man, it would take an act of God for this individual to ever come to know Christ. God, you are a big God, capable of doing big things. So we lift all these people up to you pray that your spirit would do what only he can do. And we will thank you in advance for letting us be a part of your team, for getting to serve you and be the witnesses to your son and all that he's done. We love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got the opportunity now to end our time this morning uh, celebrating communion, a chance to pause and reflect on what the sacrifice of Christ means for us. And, and again, my hope and prayer would be this morning uh, that maybe, maybe for the first time in a long time as we take communion, that we would reflect not only on the sacrifice he made, but that we would spend time thanking God for all that that sacrifice means to us. 
for the freedom we have in Christ, for the, for the grace and the love and the forgiveness and, and the relationship we have with God and the hope that we have and all the things that we love to dream about and think, man, I get all of this because of Christ's sacrifice, that we would just spend some time thanking God for all of that. And maybe that might well up in our soul a little bit of joy, a little bit of, of excitement about being God's child, God's son or God's daughter. And what might that look like to take that joy to a world that desperately needs it? So spend some time. Bradley and Laura are going to lead us in a time of worship. Uh, We're going to take the elements, hold on to them. We'll take them together as a a group. Uh, But I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and serve us now and spend some time reflecting on the goodness of of your Father.